0: Before we begin, just want to give a quick shout out to Stride. Stride has a monthly meetup called NYC Tech Debates. It is a monthly debate series for NYC's tech community. So if you live in the greater New York City area, stop on by. NYC Tech Debates will be hosting the CTO of meetup.com and the CTO of the New York Times, where they discuss how to retain women in technology. You can RSVP at nyctechdebates.com, and you can reach out to them at NYC Tech Debates on Twitter. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in Fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about imposter syndrome. We'll get into what it is and how we've taken time to overcome imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah, definitely had a moment of that doing podcasting, and other things, I think, just everything in life. Earlier today. Why am I here? (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) It's again, you're here. Imposter syndrome. Yeah.
0: 52
2: weeks. (laughs) 52
0: (laughs) weeks in and you're still feeling like an imposter. It happens. It will happen.
1: Hopefully we can talk about how we can get over this finally. Exactly. And we have a special guest with us here today, don't we?
0: Yeah, we have a special guest, my brother, Steven Nunez. How's it going? Pretty good.
2: Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing all right, doing all right. Yourself, how are you feeling? Doing all right. Um, so, so which nun- which Nunez is the imposter? Oh, it's definitely me. I'm not even going let to <laughs>
1: let's,
0: let's not
2: uh, have that
0: conversation. I'll just take that to the bank. Yeah. I'll take it to the bank. Most people would expect me to be no,
3: Mike, no, but
0: you know, <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. So, so what makes you the non-imposter Nunez? Like, what do you do?
3: So, I am. I guess an educator for what have for, for a while now, I've taught a couple hundred people how to program across a few schools from zero to dev, um, and sort of have had a chance to see people cycle through levels of imposter syndrome to confidence, to re-imposter syndrome, to confidence. Yeah. There are tears, right? (laughs) There are tears. And, and then there are also tears. (laughs) And I think one interesting thing about seeing so many people do it is that you develop an awareness to it. And I think that that's really powerful.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have a definition to imposter syndrome before you begin? Yeah. So what is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is
1: the feeling like you don't belong. Like you're surrounded by everyone who knows everything and you're the only one who doesn't know the things. Which is like often the case in, in kind of a really learning intensive environment when you're, you're programming. Because everyone's always learning something and it's, uh, it's hard to l- learn that thing.
3: Absolutely. I think one thing that's interesting is also a hidden thing for why you have imposter syndrome is because you're not used to the delta from your level of comfort with something to some new thing that you don't know. If there's a really big delta, you'll feel really that you'll feel those feelings very intensely. I kind of harken back to students that we've had who are who tend to be professionals in their field. You know, we've got doctors, lawyers, people who have some level of success. In their lives to come and be really really terrible at programming uh, <laughs> so, so didn't just to yell at by me the terrible programmers that way you, you sort of feel that pain a lot more as a result of, of feeling that delta
1: right yeah especially yeah that's, that's still true like you become established and like you're an expert in a field and then to like actually humble yourself in a way and then figure out how to process that that's, that's a challenge
2: One thing that I think is interesting about uh, imposter syndrome as a term is that it implies that you are not actually an imposter, which can be really comforting. I'm not an imposter, guys. I just have imposter (laughs) syndrome. This is just a medical condition, medically an imposter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But there's a cure, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So like what... I guess what would, what would be the process of like finding out that you have imposter syndrome? Like, what's the first tier of an imposter? Like, what what does that normally look like?
3: I mean, I think I think feeling like I think you put it really well. But feeling like you don't belong, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you see this in a couple of places. You see it so in the school setting. You'll see it as uh, I somehow lied on the application. There's no way I sh- I should be here. I'm taking someone's spot. Sort of those those thoughts mm-hmm. um, at a job. I mean, similar kind of thing. I must have like done something in the interview that fooled the interviewers and uh-huh. I must have lied to everyone <laughs> and I don't belong here. And then it sort of progresses even in your career as you become a manager or you know, start leading a team. Um, so I think it's that, that awareness of some difference between where you think you should be and where you actually are. And then the feeling starts to set in.
2: Yeah, and supposedly it escalates as you become more successful. The most successful people are the ones who suffer from it the most acutely. So Bill Gates is just crippled. <laughs> <He's> crippled. <laughs> Can't He's do center. anything. <laughs> Can't <laughs> make <laughs> breakfast. Oh man.
1: I'm curious. Like, does do you does this happen to everyone in classes that you're seeing, or are some people like more resilient with it? Like, what do you what do you think? Like, separate sets those people apart.
3: I mean, I think there's there's the feeling of of identifying that difference, and then there's sort of what you do with it. Mm -hmm. So I think the people who are most prepared to deal with the feeling of imposter syndrome or just realizing that difference are people who just see it as something that they can fix, right? You go into like growth mindset and like Carol Dweck's work and that kind of idea that I am not where I want to be. Mope, mope, mope is an option. Or I am I am I'm not where I want to be. How can I identify the things that I'm not presently good at that I value and want to be good at? And then what what are what are my steps to kind of like get out of it?
1: Right. Yeah. 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 I, I I feel like I've I've definitely seen this in people who like say that they're like not. Math people like outside right. of like programming, where it's like, oh well, this is just it. I I am done. I cannot uh, overcome this. But by having like the growth mindset, you might be like, well, okay, I guess I just need to practice more. But it's it's funny because like you can simultaneously have that like mindset of like being an imposter doesn't belong, but also be like, well, I'm
3: I'm also like really good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one one thing that I do, and I tell classes a lot that I'm uh, my my goal is to sort of like it's gonna sound terrible but to break them in a way <laughs> it's to break people i
1: feel like you might need clarification on yeah, that. Yeah. what do
0: you what do you mean by break No, exactly them? what you think no <laughs> I've,
1: I've seen the third batman movie, yeah, the Crystal right, movie.
3: You. Uh, no, i mean i mean that like part of my job is to sort of like get them out of the remove any sort of like pre-idea of of who you are so you can be free to learn, right? In the Tyler Durden-esque, it's only after you've lost everything that you're free to do anything. (laughs) I'm quoting a lot. That that is, I think, really important to sort of like figure, empowering you to say, I can learn, right? I can pick up a topic that I'm not comfortable with, right? You may, you propose like, I don't know, learn data science to like an engineer. I can't, I'm not a math person or Mm -hmm. I can't, that's really, really hard. And I, I don't understand graphing graphs or like don't make me do calculus. But I mean, there's, you know, you're only saying that because you are a successful programmer that has experience doing things really well. You're good at React, you're doing, you're good at your Rails, you're good at your, you know, your, your wheelhouse of tools.
0: But if you erased all of that, well, it's just a thing to learn. Right. And I mean, as you mentioned before, you can either not do anything about it and cry, I guess, or you can actually realize that you can learn how well the steps it takes to be a data scientist
2: there are like two approaches that i've seen people take to this one is take it till you make it that's what i do i think that's like conventional wisdom that people talk about a lot you know okay so you're not maybe you maybe you're right maybe you're not ready for this but you know step the f- up <laughs> <laughs> and then the other approach is stop pretending and ask for help and that's how you avoid actually having holes in your knowledge and i always wonder you know am i doing it wrong maybe i should try that other strategy i think a mix of both i think a mix of both is is useful i mean i think fake it till you make
3: it has a it gives you the freedom to like to step up right to say like okay well i'll i'll say like when i first started my programming career I definitely had no business being a programmer. And that's not imposter syndrome. I can empirically show that I did (laughs) not, at at the time of hire, I did not have the skills to be a software developer. I taught myself how to script in Ruby. I had like 500 line long scripts. It was a terrible program. I didn't write objects or classes or anything, but I knew, I knew, I don't know, I knew the documentation well, I guess. I took a nights and weekends class, like a Rails class, and I was like, I want to be a programmer. Went into that and... Genuinely, I think to this day fooled someone into giving me a job. And again, given the concept, given the topic, I think that actually happened. But when I got there, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm here! Like, I have to do something. I have to." Uh, they're giving me money. Like they're paying. <laughs> they're paying me actual money. Yeah. And then it was it was it was a combination of ask for help, but also try to find opportunities to become valuable. Right. So mm-hmm. I. You know, we were doing a project and it was, we're using some libraries that were relatively new. So I was like, well, I can't learn everything that everyone knows, right? I'm working with people who've got decades of experience, but I can learn this library really well. And Mm -hmm. I went in and like faked that I was the expert and actually was called upon to be the expert on that topic. And then eventually just kind of found my niche and then rounded my skills out. And then, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess like the, the, the
3: key thing is that
1: you're not just faking it. You're even, you're also trying to make it right. like,
3: yeah. yeah. Like the, the till the, you make it part means work. The, the till part is like working really hard. Right. That's the understood <laughs> yeah. part of that. <laughs> that's right. you, you don't just make it by being fake.
0: You fake it and you work really hard yeah. to
3: overcome.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Is that ethical to be an imposter?
0: I think it would be non it would be non ethical if you just continued to fake it without the till part. I think both Stephen and Dave were had mentioned. Like if you were just faking it, like oh, I'm just gonna, all right, I'm getting X amount of dollars for doing this position. Then I really don't know, and I'm just gonna, you know, wing, not do anything about it. I feel like it's pretty unethical because I do think that like <clears throat> the idea of imposter syndrome happens at some point across like a person's career in which they then have to step up to do something about it and it's when you don't where i feel like it's probably unethical yeah and i guess also
1: maybe it's partially like an internal faking rather than an external faking like if someone asks you if you know this thing really well if you're an expert then you can maybe give an honest answer that says like i don't know this thing but i can learn it I can make it like and like having the confidence to to do that. And I, I always really respect that, especially like on a job interview, if someone like ask you if you know this thing or if you can explain how this works, like I kind of rather you be like, OK, well, I know this, this and this, but I definitely don't know that rather than just making up some fantastical way that this like the Internet works or whatever.
2: So hypothetically, if somebody were pretending to be a producer on a podcast, asking for a friend, here, <laughs> for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't actually done any production work.
0: <laughs> well, we're 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 about one year strong, so I think, I think this uh, definitely counts. Yeah, well, I think Liam, this, I think this is, you've made it. <laughs> yeah, you've made <laughs> it You <this far laughs> faking <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we spent some time talking about imposter syndrome, and I was curious if you guys were. Willing to share some experiences you may have had yourself about feeling an imposter in the workplace. Does anyone want to kick that off?
2: Yeah, I think even just recently, as I've been transitioning into doing less and less code on the job and more and more management, I've been having more experiences where significantly more junior developers are better than me at stuff and will be pairing And I'll just assume that I'm going to be better because I'm used to praying with juniors and knowing more about everything. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, like it's weird. I get tripped up because I'm I'm like, okay, well, I must be tired or not paying attention because there's no way that this person is just wrecking me. (laughs) But they are. And it's like, well, I mean, is that okay? That like as a manager, I'm going to not be as good. But at the same time, like in order for me to keep up, I need to be doing as much coding as they do which makes it impossible to be a manager but also there's
1: like other things that you other responsibilities that you have that like are super important that you're delivering to the team and other people if they were in that position would feel
3: crushed (laughs) i mean and by definition like there's no way you can code as much as them right that that's sort of like the the shift in focus of management right like by by jumping into that role you've got to sacrifice something. And it's going to be coding, and since it's coding, you will become not as good at coding.
2: So then, right. why am I pairing with them?
1: Like, <laughs> well, I mean, you can still be a, a conscience, right? Like you, you still know what what the good thing to do is and the bad. Guidance, thing. you know, the Maybe. guiding. Like yeah. you're, you're there, just to make sure things are. <laughs> yeah.
2: just the, are you writing tests first, or just, are you just the uh, dead weight? <laughs> uh, actually, I got I got some good advice about this recently from. Uh, my own manager and he said you should acknowledge that you are going to make them go slower and thank them and tell them that you would like for them to pair with you anyway because it will make you better at your job as a manager. Right. sure, yeah. And it's like all right, I can I I think I can
0: pull that off. I I think that feeling you mentioned I think that what William explained in being a manager and not kind of losing the Technical chops happens to a lot of people who become managers because they've been at x amount of they've been at a company for x amount of years and i think uh, I think I read this in a book called team geek i can't remember the uh the author uh, hopefully it'll be in the show notes I got to make sure to put that in the show notes but in the book team geek they talk about how being a manager the skills that you have as a manager can very well be important or even more important because you get to enable those developers to be good at what they do and when you take the opportunity as a manager to pair with them you can then manage them better at the very craft that you once only did Mm. I, i would recommend any any person who fell into the manager role in a software development field read that book it's really really good
1: cool yeah
2: Definitely check that out. All right. Who else is a poser? Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I can oh, I you can, like, yourselves. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think for me, it's always pairing with someone working on a front end app and we got to touch CSS. And I feel like CSS always gets me. I just don't really understand. I, I just constantly have to check the Google Chrome debugger tools and, and and fiddle around here and there, but like just recently with uh, a pair, it's like, oh, why don't you, you know, why don't you try this or, you know, float or whatever the case may be? I can't remember the exact CSS uh, attributes that were given, but a combination of using CSS and using Slim, uh, which is, I think I've mentioned before in a podcast episode, it's like Hamel, but for a different way of doing Hamel. Using that is just like I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. What am I? Why am I here? Why am I here right now? Yeah, <laughs> please do if, all the driving. I don't know what I'm doing. If I can, if I can play therapist for thirty seconds,
3: <laughs> 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 I think it's interesting that the the language that we use is very important and t- sort of how we frame like problems. There's there's a very final I guess attribute of like. I suck at CSS, right? So uh, Martin Zeligman talks about this in some book. You know the book. I know the author. But
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh, the idea of like whether or not something is like general, I describe as a general or specific or temporary or permanent, right? This is a thing that is very specific and permanent. I suck at CSS, as opposed to you know thinking about it as like I'm on the road to getting better at CSS. I currently struggle with CSS. Or an even better way to look at it is what part of CSS do you not understand? Because I'm sure you can change the background color. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm I'm sure.
3: sure. Favorite part. You can change a font. You can probably import some fonts. that you probably aren't very good at is maybe page layout, right? And I think like that, getting that detailed into like what is it that I suck at is the first step to kind of like how you address this imposter syndrome, right? Or what is it that I don't know yet? Right. And it, you know sometimes that's hard, right? Because like you have to. Sometimes it's just a blob of of something. Right. I don't. I don't know Python, right? Yeah. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know Python? Can you? If, if <laughs> I showed you an example of a class, you've been doing object orientation forever. Could you make a class? Probably muscle through. Maybe I don't understand how function passing works in that language, or maybe I don't understand how scoping works. Yeah. But I think like getting that that language is really important.
1: That's true. Yeah, I I feel like that kind of comes to like deliberate practice, like the the idea that like if you just generally practice things then like you're not going to get that much better but like like in my experience especially with like music if you're like learning an instrument if you can really be very introspective and like see exactly the thing that you're messing up and then like focus only on that thing and then you can you can get to the the happy place how about you david do you have any uh imposter yeah i i do i feel like i i've, I've gone through like many tiers of this imposter syndrome <laughs> uh, <laughs> like when i first started out in in programming i actually had studied mechanical engineering and i got a job that offered like some training to to gear up for programming so i'm like okay i i, I know java a little bit and then I, I learned it and then i was working on the job and kind of getting comfortable with that and then so i was, I was like okay struggling through that and it's okay. now i am a, a java oracle enterprise engineer and now okay now i get a position where i am like doing agile and like dynamic programming languages and it's like whoa what is going on here and like just the but the experience of like kind of going from those different levels of like expertise and be like oh yeah i can like bang out all kinds of like hierarchical queries and oracle (laughs) (laughs) which is like completely useless when you have to use our orm and whatever else but like to go from the place where you you know a lot and then you don't know anything but then you you fill up and you learn it and you go to the next place where you know nothing and you fill up and you learn it and you're just like oh wait like i i kind of see a pattern here like yeah it's a process right like i go i don't get it just keep reading keep reading keep reading okay i get it yeah, and then all of a sudden people are like, "Oh, this guy's an expert in this." So I'm like, oh, "All right. All right, okay. You say so." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's that's been my long saga,
3: my lifelong saga <laughs> of foster <Yeah>. syndrome. <laughs> I think I think it hits you harder if you get if you get comfortable. Like I think I think there's something interesting in the story of like, well, I did this for a while and then now something changed and I'm like, I don't, I don't you know, you pulled the floor out from under me. I try to seeing it in students is one thing because you get to kind of like see people go from like not knowing to being freaking out to knowing some and then new topic, freaking out, not knowing something, knowing something. But one thing that's really important to me as a teacher was to have, to develop empathy for students. So Mm -hmm. one thing I would do for myself is I would try to make myself really uncomfortable outside of like my normal like teaching. Because if you don't, I honestly believe if you don't, you will lose patience with students when they're having trouble understanding how strings work for instance. yeah. So mm-hmm. f- for me, I like to do things like uh, a lot of immersive experiences. Like I was like, I can't draw. So I took a, a week-long immersive drawing class. I can draw because, you know, you picked up a skill. I did a immersive uh, primitive survival for that. Like, again, just going out into the woods. I've never camped. I can tell you that. We never really spent time in mm, the woods. No. Like maybe like the seven lakes growing up, but other than that. Jakey Tree goes in Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a certified personal trainer. Which is just weird, but I didn't know about that, and I wanted to be uncomfortable. I had to learn about a lot lot about anatomy and like muscle movements and like strength curves and all that stuff. Where do you find the time for this? And also, like (laughs) keeping up on technology. Uh, I think they kind of feed each other. I think it's it's. I have a long train ride. That's, yeah, one, the that's Bro- one thing. The Bronx is far, so guys. I live- <laughs> <I live> in- <laughs> the Bronx is far, yeah. guys. Is, is it far enough to do an
2: immersive? <laughs> no, no, no. no those, those
3: are a little harder. Sometimes I'll like, take vacation to do this thing. So I'll take a week off and then like, just sign up for this class and do it. I do think it's that important to, to kind of like, we were to say, but like to humble yourself, to kind of remind yourself that, that being in a space of not knowing is okay and that you can get out right? That constant reminder that uh, David was talking about, that reminder that I didn't know something. I'll just keep reading the books. I'll keep reading the blog posts. I'll keep reading the documentation. It won't make sense, but I'll just keep reading it. And then it'll make sense. And the new thing, same same cycle, same cycle, Like just understanding that cycle. I gave a talk recently at a, a graduation at the Flatiron School. The theme was embracing the suck. So the idea of like, if you are, you're coming into programming and programming is special because it throws into your face that you suck right every day there's a new framework there's a new library there's a new way of doing stuff there's slim no one uses slim anymore mike are you crazy this new thing (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's it's kind of like this this like wave upon wave of just like really really uh harsh reminders that you are the amount of the body of of programming that you understand is shrinking way faster than you can learn it Right. So you kind of have to go through the. You have to kind of embrace the suck. Like, f- just understand that that's part of your journey. That you will go from not knowing more often than you're going to be in a place of knowing if you're doing it right. There's a, there's a way. I, I just want to kind of make this 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 point. There's a way to not have to embrace the suck right you can pick a job that you're using technology that is like 40 years old right there's you want to be a fortran developer go live your life like cobalt de- cobalt <laughs> for,
0: for all cobalt listeners out there that's it that's <laughs> like, what's up bobby well, that's, yeah i feel like even
1: like rails like you can be very comfortable right. as a rails developer and, and just be just, like well i know rails that's my bread
3: and butter that's what i do but yeah. I, I think that it, like a more fulfilling career i think one that that gives you the staying power, that lets you not only express yourself through code, but also through like different mediums. So like doing hardware programming, doing web programming, doing all these different things, you have to sort of accept that it's going to suck and yeah. then then do it.
2: I really like that notion that the speed at which technology is increasing and the 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 breadth of knowledge available to you is growing faster than your own knowledge ever could. So the percentage of technology that you understand actually decreases as you continue to study. Yeah, this is like inflation
1: of knowledge. Right, I'm just, the whole time you're talking about this, I'm just like imagining like all the NPM packages that are coming in and out of fashion (laughs) by the second. Yeah. (laughs) There's a velocity. Oh yeah.
0: Cool. Steve, do you have anything you wanna share? Yeah, sure. We got some stuff going on at the
3: Flatiron School that is really cool in the past we've done fellowships with the city of new york for low-income new yorkers working with the city is great working without them might be better after partnering we work we're starting up a different initiative that uh, targets low-income new yorkers uh, called access labs you can check it out at accesslabs.org i think it, it's a really great project close to my heart just helping people get out of uh, giving people opportunity to learn this craft to become amazing programmers and hopefully like change their financial situation over generations. I think it's going to be really cool. Awesome. How can uh, people get in touch with you? On the Twitters, I'm underscore Steven Nunez. And that's probably it. I'm Steven Nunez on GitHub and everywhere else. But someone got Steven Nunez on Twitter. That mm. monster. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you work at Twitter and you want to help, help a brother out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Just
2: knock that
3: guy. He, bro, doesn't, he doesn't tweet. There's nothing. Nothing. that's going to be verified. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true. That's
3: true. Also, I blog at hostiledeveloper.com. That sounds very aggressive. <laughs> I'm intimidated. Be afraid.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on now, Steve. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Man. Happy to be here. I'd like to thank my co-host, Dave. Always great recording with you. It was fun. And our producer, William. Thanks for coming on now. It's great to be here. Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com slash radiofreerabbit. And if you haven't, subscribe and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Michael Nunez. This is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time.